0: Hey, Life Canton. Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. So glad that you're giving us a listen today. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, so you can get more of what we put out. Either way, I just want to let you know and remind you, really, that, that God is up to so much into this community and in this church. And if you want to participate in what he is doing, there are so many ways for you to do that, but one of the, the simplest ways is to give financially to what God is doing in this community. So you can do that by heading heading over to our uh, lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give page um, to be a part of that and give financially. Uh, So glad that you chose this week to listen because we are in week two of our Cross Equals Love series, which is one of my favorite series that we do every year. Uh, And I won't get into it too much longer because you're actually about to hear a message from me and some of the things I care about um, and are really important to me. So give that a listen. Hope you enjoy, and I'll catch up with you in a minute. Dear God, thank you so much for what you're doing. Now we thank you that you are at work. Wherever we are, you are at work. Lord, we thank you that uh, we get to see your heart in eight billion different ways that each one of us are created in the image of you and you would die again and again and again and again to save each and every one of us. Lord, help us to change with creation in the pursuit of what you've said, that we would be changed by the message today to walk out and bear the bear the torch of your justice and love inside of our communities, that we would see life change and we would see revival through it. God, you are at work and it is through you We're able to do all things. We lift this up in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. At this point, I believe everyone
1: has shaken off the daylight saving sleepiness. Hopefully. If you're listening later, I you don't really have an excuse. (laughs) Uh, But I'm so excited to be with you guys today. My name is Roger. I am the director of student and young adult ministries here at Life Canton. Uh, And I'm just excited to not only be speaking to you today, but speaking during the Cross Equals Love series. We do this every year. Uh, This is my second time since being here that we've done it. I I love it. It's exciting. We get psyched about it. We get to talk for a whole series just about how to experience and share the love of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And last week, uh, Pastor Nathan talked to us about the importance of serving others like we see Jesus doing. Talk to us all about going lower to serve those in the low places just like Jesus did. So if you haven't checked it out, be sure that you do. Uh, it was a really good message. And I've been taking uh, and processing what he talked about for uh, not just the past couple of weeks, but honestly the past couple of years. Uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and learning about what it c- could look like and should look like to go lower? What does it practically look like for us to go out and to serve those in the low places? And I'm still learning. Uh, It's a journey. I love that we sang that this morning, that uh, God often takes us on journeys to understand ourselves and to understand him better. Uh, And I'm still on that journey, but I'm excited to be at a church that believes this is where God will be taking us in the next 10 years. And as I have spent time processing this idea of going lower and serving those Jesus called for us to serve, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about one specific uh, verse. For about the past, I want to say the past five years, I've been dwelling on Micah 6, 8, uh, pretty, pretty obsessively. And to be honest with you, when I hear this verse read, I usually get a little fired up about it. And let me read it and tell you why in just a second after I adjust the mirror so that I'm not blinding Lindsay's face. Uh, <laughs> I did that to Pastor Nathan last laugh service. <laughs> uh, but let me read this verse for us. You all have probably heard it, but I want to read it and then tell you why I get uh, a little fired up about this verse. So Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is a verse that so often I hear it kind of posted and just thrown all over the place. Like I've seen this verse on coffee mugs. I saw it on a wall of, of donations when I was in my undergrad at college, and I would see it. And it's kind of posted as this almost... I don't know, pithy, uh, fluffy statement of how we just, we should just do justice, guys. And and there's a heart about that that bothers me so much. Uh, And for so long, I could only see it that way. And I would get upset and and pretty angry every time I heard it thrown about in that manner. Because my issue is if you know the context of this verse, then you know that this verse is spoken through the prophet Micah as a judgment of Israel. God was judging them on account of their failure. To care for the orphan and the widow. In fact, when you look at Micah and you look at all of the other Old Testament prophets, they have this, this judgment that they explain to Israel that over time, after God has given them their kingdom and built it up and, and poured into it, He's actually going to tear it down and take it away from them because of their injustice and their oppression and their abuse of the orphan and the widow. This is not a motivational poster verse, this is not a coffee verse. This is a verse full of God's anger. It is a corrective verse, a verse to put Israel in their place. Do you hear the tone at the beginning? Oh, mortal. God is reminding them who he is and who they are not. He's not pleased. And for so long, that's all I could see when I read this verse. And and it is that, that is present in this verse. But there is another side to it. And I sat with this verse for about five years and until maybe two months ago, if I'm being honest, I miss something so significant about what is happening in these verses. The truth is that Micah 6, eight is about justice and love. Do you ever see those passages in the Old Testament, especially uh, passages that give God uh, incorrect reputation for being a God of anger? Uh, do you ever see them and ask yourself, why is God so angry here? Why is he so full of righteous anger? What would happen if we read verses like Micah and saw why God was mad? In this case, Micah wasn't just mad simply with Israel because they had failed to be obedient or to do the thing he said, he told them to do. He was angry because his heart was breaking for the orphan and for the widow. He was angry because his love for the oppressed and the suffering was greater than his desire to provide the Jewish people with a comfortable and safe life. He was angry out of his deep, love for the people that they were abusing, and their abuses were many. And I realized that after sitting with this verse for years, Um, and it shifted my whole view and my whole perspective on this verse, but then I had to ask myself, why, how did that happen? How did I get to the point? I sat with this verse for even longer, then I asked myself, why couldn't I see it? How did I miss it? Why did I become so focused on God's righteous anger? Why could I only read this verse with fear and with shame? Why was it that when I read this verse, it would often leave me trembling at the feet of Jesus? And I began to sit with God and be still before him and ask him, what am I missing? Am I missing something? Am I forgetting something? And the more I did that, the clearer it became that God was saying, yes, yeah, you have forgotten something, but not the thing that you thought you forgot. Because I thought I was forgetting to care for the orphan, the widow, and that somehow God was upset or angry with me for not doing that. But God told me pretty clearly, (laughs) that's not what I was forgetting. I was forgetting who I was. And if I am honest, uh, not only with myself and with God, but with you all today, uh, I am an orphan. When it comes to verses like this, God is speaking uh, to me and about me. Fatherlessness is a struggle that I have had my whole life, on and off. Uh, Struggling with feeling left behind and unwanted, uh, with feeling unworthy of love and at fault for the brokenness in my family. Uh, Feeling like there was something wrong with me, something off. And because of those feelings, I couldn't accept God's love uh, for me as an orphan in a way I refused it and the worst part is I didn't even realize that I was doing it just to share with a bit about my experience with you one of the things that I hated uh, more than anything else growing up was having to tell people my last name Uh, my brother and my sister we all have different last names and that wasn't a problem Um, I love them I will always love them they always be my brother and my sister that was that was not the issue the issue was having to tell new people what my last name was Because if they knew me and they knew my siblings, uh, they would usually have questions about, why is your last name different? And then I would have to explain to them my fatherlessness. I'd have to explain to them the ways in which I was different, the ways in which I felt I was broken and insufficient. And I hated having to do with that. And for a while, my last name, this this simple word... (laughs) Became something that represented so many feelings of shame and guilt, even anger for me. And maybe I'm describing some of the feelings that adults in the room have struggled with in the past. I might even be describing some feelings that students in this room are struggling with right now. The thing is, scripture talks a lot about the power of words. There is a passage of scripture that I think. uh, not only warns us about the power of words in general, but also gives us an example of a very powerful word. Uh, So for the rest of our time today, we're going to be in the uh, book of James. Go ahead and flip to that, Uh, and if if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen like it was before. Um, But James was a letter letter written by the brother of Jesus, who not only became a follower, but also an important uh, leader in the early church after the resurrection, and he is writing to a church made up mostly of Jewish Christians, but also a church that was beginning to uh, exhibit very unChrist-like behaviors. That James was attempting to correct. Uh, so we're going to start in James one twenty-six, and James says this to this church: If they think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Those are some powerful words in that passage. Words like deception and worthlessness. Words like religion. And let's talk about that one for a moment. When, when I read out the word religion, I wonder what came to mind for you. Maybe it was uh, altars and vestments. Maybe it was uh, priests and, and hems. Maybe it was sermons and worship songs or praise music. Maybe it was even uh, theology and doctrine and scholars. For some of you, that was probably uh, some good memories, some memories that you look back on with fondness and nostalgia and might even bring a smile to your face. But for some of you, that word invoked pain and some very difficult memories that you would rather not remember. Either way, words have the power to cause deep hurt, the power to make us forget things about ourselves. And that's what happened to me. I became so focused on my last name, this simple word. It trapped me to the point that it brought so much pain and shame. And there have been a lot of other words that have been spoken over me in my life. And I'm sure you all have words like this. Words like, orphan, maybe words like, I don't know, weird, maybe words, uh, even about your physical appearance, uh, maybe different, maybe even something as mean as ugly. And then there's those deeper things, uh, those things that not, aren't always spoken to us, uh, with by a person or through words spoken out loud, but spoken to us by situations and how people behave around us. Think, words like unwanted. Words like unloved. Words like wrong. These are words um, that stick with us. These are words that Bring us shame and pain. These are words that begin to shape the way we look at ourselves to the point that we can miss some of the things that we are supposed to see. And we all have words like this words that have been used to hurt us, maybe even to abuse us. And James knows this. James is warning this church that he is writing to that if they are not careful, the words they speak with their mouths will make their religion worthless. He is warning that if those who follow Jesus do not speak words that reflect who Jesus is, then their religion will not only be worthless, but they will cause hurt and pain and suffering. Things that Jesus does not want us not only to bring to others, but that he never brought to anyone. So what does this word religion mean to James? In the next verse, he lays out very clearly what this word means to him. In James 1.27, he says this, "The religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. For James, true religion is to care for the orphan. In fact, he says that religion... Uh, that doesn't do this, is worthless. And this criticism is one that I've heard, especially from people of my generation, speak about the church. That is this old, uh, archaic, decrepit system that no longer works full of, people, full of people who do not care, people who are hypocrites. And it doesn't sound like James is disagreeing. Actually, it sounds like James is saying, like, yes, religion can be that if you let it. And he says that we avoid worthless religion by taking action in our communities to care for the orphan. I'm going to ask you who else did this and give you an opportunity to to do Jesus juking. So who else did this? There we go. Thank you, John, our discipleship pastor. (laughs) That's right. That's who else did this. It was Jesus. What James is doing here is he's not making a new definition for religion. He is pointing his audience back to Jesus. He's pointing to the cross, a symbol of how deeply God loves us, a symbol of Jesus, the one who showed us what it looks like to care for the orphan to the point that not only did he serve them like we've been talking about, but he offered up his body as a sacrifice so they could live in perfect relationship with their heavenly father. I still struggle uh, with accepting that and with saying that, but I hope you hear this as I hear it. Jesus died so that the orphans would be fatherless no longer. If you're sitting here and you are hearing this uh, and you are struggling with feelings of shame and guilt or wrongness, please hear that. Jesus died so that you would no longer be fatherless. And this point is driven in so much more deeply when we understand what it meant to be an orphan in that time, in that culture, in Roman culture during James' time. To be an orphan was to be completely and utterly disconnected from every form of social mobility and protection. Every civil and social right was accessed through men. So if you were a child, your access to all of these systems was through your father. And if you didn't have a father, you you had no rights in that culture. You had no protection. You had no income. You had no access to food. You were literally left out on the street. And for James, religion was to care for these people. To be a Christian was to care for the orphan, and that is what I forgot. That Christians are called to care for the orphan, called to serve people like me. And you know what the real tragedy of all of this is? is for James. For us, this might sound with all of our cultural understandings of religion and all the things that have happened in our world. This might sound like a new understanding of what religion is, but James' audience were Jewish Christians. This wasn't new for them. In fact, this was something that the Jewish people had been told again and again and again. Remember where we started in Micah in the Old Testament with the ancestors of the people that James is talking to. He's invoking that same harsh tone of Micah 6:8 to remind them that this was always what was expected of them. Long before they had become to believe in Jesus, God had told them to care for the orphan. And if we go back a few verses in James, we're going to see James calling them out so clearly for their forgetfulness. If We look in James one twenty-two. right before this, James says this, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if they are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. James is reminding them of something powerful. That Jesus holds up a mirror in front of us through scripture. He begins to cover up all these words that we see with the cross. The cross, which proves to us that God loves us, that we are worthy of that love, that we are no longer any of these things. So we begin to hear, we begin to read what Jesus says about us and feels about us. And Jesus tells us that we are no longer an orphan. We are no longer weird. We are no longer different in a harmful way. We are no longer ugly. We are no longer unloved. We are no longer unneeded. We are no longer wrong. He covers all of this up. And what does he replace it with? The thing we've been talking about in this whole series. He replaces it with the cross. That is what we begin to see. And he teaches us new words about ourselves, new things about ourselves. He teaches us that we are beloved. He teaches us that we are children. He tells us that we are not weird, but precious. That we are chosen. That one can be so powerful. Chosen by God. And that we are His These are the new things, the new things that Jesus tells us that he believes about us and that he wants us to see and believe. And we know this is true because he died on a cross. There's no refuting it. These are the words that should tell us who we are according to Jesus. But so often we forget, just like the Jewish people did, just like the Jewish people did, we forget. Right? We, in our modern context, we go to church. We hear about how much Jesus loves us and all the things he says about us. We hear Jesus telling us to go lower and to serve those in the low places. But then we leave and we forget. And we do what James is telling this church not to be, do, which is just becoming nothing more than hearers. We hear about how much Jesus loves us, how deeply and how fully, and then throughout the rest of our day, we seek the love and the approval of people who are never going to love us even closely to how Jesus loves us. We hear about how God forgives us so richly and so deeply and so constantly, and then when people in our life wrong us, we we refuse to forgive them for anything, for the smallest thing. We hear all about how good and fulfilling Scripture is, but then we hop on social media and look at influencers or even our friends to be a gauge of how fulfilled our lives are. We hear about all of these things, and then we forget. And as we forget those old words, those words that are erased and gone and should be left in the grave, start to cream back in. To obscure who Jesus says we are and replace them with the lies of the enemy. And please, do not Do not be mistaken. Those are not words before that were said to you by God. Those were words from the enemy who used situations and people and places you have been to teach you lies about yourself. So church, we must not forget who Jesus says we are. And not just for our sake. It's tragic when it happens to us, but we also need to know that there are others who need to know who Jesus says they are too. There are orphans in our midst who need to hear that the cross equals love for them. That Jesus loves them. That they have a Father. And how can we teach them any of those things if we're busy forgetting that for ourselves? If we are only hearers and not doers. And James doesn't just leave us there with what not to do. He also paints such a powerful picture of what happens when we remember who we are in Jesus. If you look at James 125, but those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who who act, they will be blessed in their doing. This is what James desires, and not just James, but every son and daughter of Christ in this church. We desire for every follower of Christ to be a doer. Not just a doer for the sake of doing, which is often the way that James gets misunderstood. But doers who are motivated by the love that Jesus has, received, has given them and that they have received. This is what the cross equals love looks like in action. It looks like torchbearers of Jesus' love and justice who come together to provide care for the orphan, the fatherless, the abandoned. And our young, young people need this, All of, not just the orphans, If we do this poorly, we will have young people walking around feeling abandoned, unloved, and unworthy, not just for years to come, but potentially for the rest of their lives. Potentially until they're wrestling with it at 31 like I am. We have to do this right. Let's not let that happen. And when we do this right, when we do this correctly, when we speak the words that Jesus feels about other people to those around us, we model Jesus Remember our verse from last week? There's a reason it's our verse from this series. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we remember who we are, we serve others as Jesus served us. We go to those in society that have been left behind and forgotten and abandoned, and we go lower. I'm so excited for the ways I see this church being faithful to God in our 10-year vision, because I believe this, this is where God is leading us. Not just one thing that we do among many, not just a focus, but all that we do, all that we desire and we love and we get passionate about and we pursue. This is where we are going. And I want you to have, much like James, I want you to have concrete, clearly laid out action steps for you to take this week so that you can begin to love the orphan and to serve them. And I'm going to challenge you with three specific action steps this week that I believe will help you do that. First, and probably most importantly, I want you to spend half an hour reflecting on what Jesus says about you this week. Remember to take time to stare into the right mirror. I didn't make these words up. These are all words you can find in Scripture, words that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit believe about you. This is the mirror of, that, of the words that Jesus speaks over you, and if you do not base what you do on who you are, then how are you going to help anyone else understand who they are? And this is one way, one practical way, to reclaim your identity in Jesus. So half an hour. Read scripture and see the mirror of what Jesus says about you. And I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge that that some of you maybe are hearing and seeing these words for the first time. Maybe you didn't realize that Jesus says these things about you. Maybe you see these words and you're just not in a place to accept them. You've heard me say it during this message, and maybe physically or mentally you have nodded your head no. And said, That's that's not me. That person you are describing in that mirror is not me. And you're wondering how you can begin to believe and accept these words about yourself. Well, the good news is that accepting them uh, is not done through wishful thinking or uh, extreme willpower. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is something that he does in you and in your heart. He will bring the peace and the joy and the acceptance that we need to believe that these things are true. So start by staring into the mirror that is Jesus and all he has done to prove your worth to you with the cross, proving that all of these things are true. And the spirit will move you towards acceptance one day at a time. There'll be easy days and there'll be hard days. This week was a hard week for me to understand this and to believe this, even as I was wrestling to write this message. But the spirit will continue to build you up, and to show you that these things are true. And once you have done that, you are ready to serve, to serve the orphan. So I want you to speak love to a young person this week. If you are ready to serve, then this step is so vital. We cannot reinforce the words that are spoken over us by the enemy. Instead, we need to reinforce what Jesus says about us in his word. And students are so vulnerable to the words being spoken over them right now. We have to make sure that our voices, among all of the voices, are speaking these words. If we speak these words to students, then we will help them see who Jesus says they are. And that's not just going to serve them for a couple years or until they graduate. That's going to serve them for the rest of their life. So we have to do this. And then lastly, I'm challenging us not just to be hearers, but also to be doers. I want you to perform two acts of service for one young person this week. Doers of Jesus who have received his love and are eager to give it to others is what we are called to be. Eager to serve people who are just beginning to figure out who they are, and they could use some service right now. It's been a tough couple of years for students with the pandemic and isolation and constant changes and loneliness and all of the things that they are wrestling with. They could use some service. And if you notice, I specified two acts of service because for those of us who work with uh, young people and students, we know that sometimes, oftentimes, uh, students and young people notice when an adult is doing something for them and and often believe that they're doing that thing because they have to, because that adult, that teacher, that parent in my life has to. But if we're consistent with our service, with our words of, of affirmation and love, and with serving students, then they begin to realize that we're doing it because we love them, because we want to, because we want to serve them. And that can make all of the difference in a young person's life. And here are some ideas for things that you could do to serve a young person. Uh, You could offer to help with homework. Some of us are equipped for that, some of us aren't. I misspelled words in our last service, so I might not be the one to do that, but you could. (laughs) uh, Offer to help them with homework. Maybe take them out for ice cream or, or just lunch or something. To give them a break, uh, to hear about their lives, and also to share stories. That's something else you can do. Students love hearing stories of the adults in their lives. One of my favorite things in student ministry is to see uh, older people come into the ministry and begin to share their lives with students and their stories. Often I hear them say, "Like no, they, students don't care about this, they don't want to hear about this, but when you see them in the room with the students, the students eat it up. They, they love hearing about where we have been and what we have experienced and how we handled things. That speaks so much life into them. And then I also want to give you an idea for uh, serving an orphan or someone struggling with fatherlessness this week. Uh, There are a lot of single mothers in our congregation, uh, and they could use a break. right? They could use uh, some time to rest and relax. So offer to babysit uh, if they're younger, or even just to take their student out. Either way, it provides the parents the opportunity to catch a breath and to get some much-needed rest. And it gives you an opportunity to be one of those affirming voices in that student's life. So offer to either babysit or uh, take the uh, student of a a young person of a a single parent out. And I want you to leave you with one more thing. I've talked a lot about what Scripture says and and what my experience have been and some concrete steps, but I, I want you also to see a way that this played out for me in my life uh, in a way that I didn't realize until years later. Uh, so when I was younger I was part of the Lutheran church uh, and it was, I was part of a small church of, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 that I went to with my family and one of the things that the Lutherans do is have young people go through a class called catechism. Uh, this is a class where you learn the doctrine, prayers, uh, theology about God and just really learn about your faith. Uh, I was not a good student at all. <laughs> I failed catechism uh, because I failed too many quizzes and wasn't paying enough attention in class. And just for those of you who don't understand, like, that's unheard of. Like, the pastor's like, well, I've never had this, and I've been a pastor for like 20 years, and you failed catechism. So I, <laughs> I failed catechism. Uh, so, one of the things I had to do is I had to get dropped off once a week for two hours to sit down with my pastor and to memorize uh, prayers and the scriptures and theology and make sure I pass those quizzes. Um, and it, I actually began to realize that I, I didn't mind it, it wasn't that bad. Um, my pastor was a great man of God and someone I enjoyed being around and arguing with a great deal. But sometimes I would actually stick around uh, because this was a small, small church and my pastor was one of two staff, it was him and a part-time admin, so there was a lot to do around the church that he needed help with. So there was a couple times where I stayed after after, uh, to just help him get things done around the church. And one of those vivid memories I have, and, and it seems so small and insignificant, um, but I remember being in this, this, it was a corner sanctuary with these huge windows. It was old, and it was, it was dusty, and it was musty. <laughs> it was small. But I remember being up next to the altar, which you weren't allowed to do very often, but being next to the altar, and I was ironing uh, the, the cloth that the pastor used for communion, um, which I don't know why he trusted me with. I was a bad student, and I, I don't know, I could have lit those on fire. But I didn't. <laughs> but I remember looking back and just appreciating that not only did he take time out of his day to show me how to do that, because it probably would have got done quicker if he had done it, but he showed me how to do that. Um, and he trusted me with that responsibility. And even now, um, I think about those times in the rare occasion when I, I earned something, but I think about that memory. And looking back, I think what happened was that that was a moment I felt loved and seen by someone who I knew did not have to do that but chose to love me and serve me because Jesus loved and served them first. That is what cross equals loved look like to me in my life and this is what I I truly believe we are called to do to serve the orphan to love them and to tell them who they are. So I'm going to challenge you to do that this week and remind us to stay rude in what God and what Jesus says about us in his word. Uh, but there are some of us in the room who are just learning these things for the first time. We're just beginning to understand what precious children we are to Jesus. So I want to take a moment to begin that process of inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart to help you see through all of the lies that have been told to you and, and all the ways that you have been hurt or abused and to see that you are valued and that you are a child of God. So let me pray for us now in this place. God, you are a perfect father. Even for those who have had good fathers, uh, you are perfect. And even more so for those who have not had that, you are a father for the fatherless. It is hard to hear and hard to believe when the world tells you differently. So I ask that today you would send your spirit to us to help us see that this is true and believe that this is true. Point us to the cross where you proved beyond a shadow of a doubt your love and your care and your concern for the orphan. God, ask that this day you would move in us to bring us closer to you, to not recoil when we hear that word, Father, to not turn away when you call out to the orphan. God, you are pursuing us. You are running after us. Your son wants to wrap us up in his arms. And love us and hold us close and tell us that we are his. So I ask that this week you would move in ways that we cannot ignore, we cannot run away from, we cannot say no to. That your love would be visible, mighty like a wind rushing through this community. And for those of us who see that love, who've begun to accept that love, that we would be agents of that love to the community, that we would see the orphan, really see them, that we would serve them that we would speak the words and the names that you have given us over them that would be a part of what God is doing in this church, in this community, in this world. God, you are perfect in every way. And we just long to experience a relationship with you every day. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um, I hope that you learned something today or remembered something today about who Jesus says you are. Uh, But if you are going through anything, anything at all, uh, maybe even struggling with some of those uh, things that I talked about today, Uh, Be sure to reach out to us. We want you to know that you belong um, and to be surrounded by people who want to love and support you. Uh, You can reach out through a Connect card and just ask for prayer. Uh, But we also have uh, semester groups, uh, life groups that meet uh, throughout the year that you can get involved in. So be sure to let us know if that's something you're interested in so that Pastor Al can get you connected. Either way. Like I did said in my sermon, I challenge you this week to find a young person and to serve them and to love them and to speak words of life over them. I hope that God blesses you in that, gives you the strength and the discernment uh, to find those young people his place in your life. Uh, But have a blessed week and we'll see you again real soon. Bye.